Hey, I want, I want to warn you, dear listener, that we're going to be throwing a lot of shade at learning styles so today, but we don't want to be throwing shade at educators themselves because this was a really popular thing. There were everybody what was on board. It has a lot of intuitive kind of sense about it. It seems to be real. Um, and uh, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of consultants made a lot of money uh, <laughs> on this deal and a lot of book publishers did. But as in a lot of things in education, it takes a while for the science to catch up. And we often, I would argue with anybody that teaching is both art and science. And sometimes you have to go with your gut. But the science has caught up. <laughs> and the science tells us in, in a lot of different ways that um, learning styles are um, not what they're cracked up to be, that they're probably not even real. And even if they're real, they're not useful <laughs> as a, <laughs> uh, for an instructor. And there's even some growing evidence that they're detrimental. And we can, we can touch on all these. Okay. And I think we'll also get around to touching on in some of the conversation we'll reveal what you should be doing instead, because the kernel of truth that kind of sure. lurks in learning styles is there, there is one. And that helps explain why it's such a deal. Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. This week's episode is the first in our new series about pedagogical myths. We will be coming back to this topic and adding to the list periodically in future episodes. James, Alex, and Amelie are kicking off the series with one of the biggest and most widespread of them all, the myth of learning styles. As we started talking about this episode, um, we all, we all would, would start talking about something, and then it felt like we were slipping into believing about learning, you know, right. then we'd slip into to saying, but you should also present this to the students. At, and that's like, oh, wait, yes, but is that the same? What is it? And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of haziness around yeah. the definitions of, of what learning styles are, what multiple intelligences are, where the lines are between those things. Um, yeah. I think, go ahead. I, I think, I think what you're getting at the beginning there is that we want to acknowledge that educators were, before the science cut up, educators were, in some degree, are working in good faith. They want to present their their learning, their curriculum to the students in the best way possible. Right, absolutely. And oftentimes, because it became so trendy and is still within that educational sphere of influence learning style becomes the default phrase, but I think learning aptitudes or preferences tends to fit a little bit better. It's, it's a little bit of a clearer right. idea that, that people are getting at when they say learning styles. So maybe it's, it's, all, it's always going to come down to the clarity of what are we talking about and what are definitions as we get started. Absolutely. Which on that note, why don't we back up a little and talk about what what we're even talking about when we when we talk about learning styles and multiple intelligences and kind of the history yeah. of where that all came about. Sure. Um, so you have the psychologist, uh, Howard Gardner, who in the early 80s, I think it was 1983, sounds right? Sounds right. Um, comes up with this concept of multiple intelligences, basically as a counter to the standard IQ tests that were being used in institutions. Which are heavily math and linguistic ability. Right. So they, they do a lot of gauging, yeah, your computational skills and your um, verbal skills, but doesn't 
doesn't really give the full range of the ways that we understand things, perceive things, learn things. It doesn't really, it's, it's very, very, very incomplete. And so he looked at all these different ways that you know things or may have aptitudes in things as a way to counter that that there's more than one way to be, quote, smart. Yeah, he found the idea of that idea of intelligence as defined by IQ is really reductive, and he was trying to get a more expansive appreciation for it. And you know, he made. And I remember reading that book, and or whatever, whichever book it was, where he presents the idea, and it was a, and it was, it had an impact on me. I liked it a lot. He talks about basketball players having a, a type of intelligence that you don't possess if unless you're, you know, unless you are one, right? Musicians, similar thing. The actual physical manipulation of things to Gardner is a type of intelligence. And at first, that might strike you a little funny, but if you think about it. It more. Um, it makes sense. You think of these as aptitudes, and the IQ test had historically really zeroed in on some important aptitudes, um, reading and uh, mathematical ability, but those are not the whole picture of what it is to be a human being or a smart human being. Well, and thinking about it, even in terms of the uh, school smarts and street smarts, you've got the typical IQ test really gauged what we would think of as traditional academic classical education school smarts. Yeah. And and his idea of multiple intelligence has really sort of opened up a door to to think about as educators to think about our students in a in a bigger context of going, yeah, there's there are more ways to I was going to say there are more ways to skin a cat. There are more. <laughs> Don't skin cats. I won't skin cats. There are more ways to to understand a concept and and more ways to experience it. And I kept going back to um, that old parable of the elephant and the blind men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you know that that there's an elephant. There are five blind men, and each one touches a different part of the elephant and comes away with a completely different concept of what that elephant is. None of them are correct. Each of them is limited. And if we were to only go by one particular form, we're, we're limiting things. And so I think that's where a lot of his, his, uh, his take came from. And that, that was what I was going to probably get to, we can do now or later, is that this way of thinking tends to fixate or concretize, like make concrete that one style of learning, that one particular mode or modality that you engage in and you interact in. And it doesn't necessarily allow the freedom to cross those different right. opportunities of learning. And you tend to, if you th- think of yourself as it evolved, you know, as I'm an auditory learner, I'm a kinesthetic learner, you'll then avoid certain opportunities for learning that by default you think don't benefit you, but Really, right. you're going to be missing out on the key concepts of learning that are only deliverable in that way. Right. And that's the detrimental side, yeah. right, is that once you uh, accept one of these things, again, that there's no real science to support. Once you accept one of these things as an identity, then it, you will tend to filter your learning opportunities based on this identity. And worse, educators may well filter your learning opportunities based on these things. Yes. And that's what I was going to say is then – so. Gardner comes up with this concept. It then gets sort of morphed into preferences more than more than ways of approaching topics. It becomes these preferences to how to approach. Right. But educators were like, there's finally something to grab onto. As an educator, we know we've had students in the classroom that 
don't score well on tests, don't score well on traditional assessments, but right. we know that they are highly intelligent. And this gave those educators something to kind of latch onto and say, no, see, I'm right. They they are really smart. And not only are they smart, I just need to tailor the way I teach to that student's learning ability. Right. And and I don't know. I've read a little about on the history of the thing. I don't know where it originates or if we really know exactly where, but it coalesces at some point in 1987 with a guy named Neil Fleming who comes up with what he calls the VARC model. Yes. And you'll, if you do any research on it, you'll find this VARC model. And evidently there was an older one, which was the VAC model, V-A-C, and I don't know who came up with that. So V-A-C would be visual, auditory, and kinesthetic or touch or movement, that kind of thing is what kinesthetic would be. But then the VARC one, they add this one. And I think the adding of this one shows you how uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, dodgy. The whole concept <laughs> is – um, is the the R in VARC becomes reading slash writing. So I think before we can get into the science, because there's plenty of science, but before we get into the science, just the very conception of these things is problematic. And I don't, you know, I don't blame people for missing this. There's a lot of enthusiasm about these things. And like Amelie said, you know, as a teacher, you're like, you're trying to find a way to get across to kids. And if, if you suddenly real if you suddenly think, oh, my goodness, I have only been presenting this stuff in a certain way and I'm leaving these other people out, then naturally you're going to want to tailor your instruction to this wider variety. And that means you're going to spend four times as much time prepping your content if you go by the, the VARC model. Um, but the problem is your, our brains aren't in these, these channels. Right. We, we don't – nobody plugs up your ears and, and ties your hands behind your back and tries to experience something entirely visually. And nobody does the same for any of the other senses. And even if you tried to, your brain um, encodes things across these different senses. Well, and what I think, find really interesting is that this – the concept of learning styles, as we've just said, is pretty reductive and limiting. But it is – it's simultaneously – carrying on a track parallel with the idea of growth mindset that you can that your brain can grow how you learn how well you learn your capacity to learn all those things are malleable and can grow and so you've got this idea that I'm an auditory learner period right but I also have the capacity to do these other things it, it doesn't it strikes me as right. sort of and it, it puts all of the capacity for learning and growth on the individual and doesn't take into consideration the actual artifact or concept in the first place. For example, looking at like VARC as a, as a case study, say you're a teacher in a geography class and you're coming up on a lesson on maps at the very beginning maps and geography have a very specific way of interacting with us and how we interface with them that if you try to apply that to all four of those VARC styles, how are you going to auditorily conceptualize what a map and I'm is to a student? narrate a map to you? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a visual experience. It's a tactile experience. It's all of these experiences all at the same time happening. And if you were to try and just say, 
hey, student who is an auditory learner, I'm only going to give you this conceptualization of a map in an auditory way because that benefits or that's your quote unquote strength or learning style. You're actually doing something detrimental to their learning experience. Absolutely. Well, I was thinking too about when you learn to play an instrument, you don't only learn it in one style. Right. You you have to, and one of the things that that Gardner um, talks about in in some of his writing is that when someone has a really deep understanding of a concept, they understand it in a multitude of ways. That it's not they don't just understand it in a visual way. So, when you learn to play the piano, when you learn to play the guitar, you don't just understand what it looks like. You don't just understand what it sounds like. You don't just understand what it feels like. You understand all of those pieces. Yeah, you pull all that together. And like nobody would – you can learn – look, we've got great instructional media these days for learning instruments. You can go to YouTube and get some lessons on anything. But you wouldn't want, especially in the early stages, to have to rely entirely on video. Now, it's lovely that you could, but what you really want is some skilled practitioner to help diagnose the way you're holding the instrument for a guitar, for example. And there aren't many videos on that. There are lots of videos on how to play this scale or this chord progression or this song or whatever, the stuff that's a little above the, the most basic level. But you wouldn't just read a book on how to play guitar and think that you would learn how to play guitar. You would also play the guitar you would do the you would engage the kinesthetic part and you would be you don't want a surgeon who's never felt what it feels like to use a scalpel yeah that you, surgeon to, to does have a, that throughout touch. medical school well i just i'm a read write so i'm only <laughs> ever going to read write in my my learning to be a surgeon i had a couple of examples that i came up with while i was doing this one of them i remember um there's a british novelist i like named graham swift and he wrote a he's really he's well known for a really good novel called waterland and he, he he's done some more recent ones I liked a lot, but he had a collection of short stories I was reading on a bus one time, and in the collection of short stories, and one of the stories in it is called Learning to Swim. And I'm sitting here reading this book, and this guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, but I got to ask, is that literally a book on how to swim? Like the technique of swimming. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 actually it's not. And even the cover had like a scene of someone swimming. So yeah. like, and I thought, yeah, when we were prepping for this, I thought, yeah, if you you would not if you hired somebody to teach your kid how to swim and they came into the room and said, "Okay, here, here's your reading assignment on how to swim." <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm I'm sure some advanced swimmers can read articles on swimming technique and get a lot from it, but like you're going to approach this, you're going to get in the water. I mean, even if even if they set up something where you practice a stroke on the diving board before you get in the water, you got to get in the water to learn yeah. to swim. So we've we've now given all these ways that, you know, you could be ineffectively taught how to swim. Yeah. But let's take one of those. So if you did get handed something to read, um, is reading a visual learning technique? Is reading an auditory learning? Yeah. Is it a verbal? Is it, I mean, what what is it? That, because all of those pieces of your brain are required in order to learn, to or, or in order to read. Right, that it's read tactile, because it's kinesthetic if you're holding a book. There's, it, there's an interface. Everything about it, connection there are parts of your brain. If you if you do any research, um, we always had to, to learn how to um, tutor for dyslexia. And you start getting into, there are parts of the brain that recognize sound, right. even if they're not saying it out loud, even right. if they're not hearing it literally in their ears, it's what their brain is recognizing. And it's the connections between 
those things that are are not working properly. It's the, it's the R in VARC that really throws the gates <laughs> open because the minute you bring reading into it, like you said, it's visual, it's auditory. You're sounding it out in your head. This lights up, I'm sure, on an MRI, the part, same parts of your brain when, as when you're listening. Um, again, it's tactile. If it's a book, even if it's a even if it's an iPad, that's a different tactile sensation. Oh, I find myself when I'm when I am reading a, a book in print, like trying to swipe the pages <laughs> because I read so much on a yeah. on an e-reader. And if I'm reading um, like a PDF, I'm scrolling through the PDF as I'm sure. reading it. Whereas if I'm doing it on a Kindle, I I will sometimes try to scroll and then remember that I can't scroll, <laughs> that I have to wait and flip pages. It It mm-hmm. is. It's a very tactile yeah. experience. So this, I mean, it's, this is an artificial division, and, and you wouldn't want to brand anyone. Now, I'll, I'll, two caveats. One, well, one caveat and one quote I just have to read you. Because we all feel, I feel like we all had fun doing the research on this one. And yep. there'll probably be a lot of things in the show notes for people to go follow up if they want to. Because there's a lot of great information out there. There's a lot of bad information out there, too. Um, but the, uh, well, first the quote. I've, I came across this piece from 2008, mind you, um, from a guy named John. I believe he pronounced his last name Geek, G-E-A-K-E, or maybe Geke. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the the article's got a snappy title, which is Neuromythologies in Education. <laughs> and on this subject, um, we're talking here, and he takes on several, the right brain, left brain thing. That gets um, mixed in with a lot of this yeah, as well. His, here's his quote. Uh, Moreover, as primates, we are predominantly processors of visual information. This is true even for congenitally blind children who instantiate Braille not in the kinesthetic areas of the brain, but in those parts of their visual cortices that sighted children dedicate to learning written language. Moreover, unsighted people create the same mental spatial maps of their physical reality as sighted people do. So that's not the quote I thought I was going to read. <laughs> That's a great quote, though. That is a great quote, though. <laughs> <laughs> but that is—that's. But that's just it. It's your brain is using all of these parts, and it's about the communication and what your brain is doing with it, and less about. Which gets, I think, a little bit back to your point, Alex, about how it's about the content as well. Yeah. And what suits it. And probably this was interesting from a an article from 2018 where they interviewed a few researchers and Vark was, was touched on it with it was uh, this doctor, I believe it's pronounced Hussman or Hussman. Hussman says that the most important thing for anyone looking to learn something new is to really focus on the material. That's what the most successful students in the study they um, were tracking did rather than say like plopping down, looking at flashcards, but really you're watching a football game. So it's not even coming down to research. Actual research is showing it's not the methodology by which you're taking in the information. It's how attuned you are to the information. Yeah, yeah. And that's a better determinant than the style that it's being delivered in. Yeah, and now the caveat I was thinking of earlier is just I know that we have experientially preferences for things, for every kind of thing, right? And so you may well think of yourself as a visual learner. You may think I, I'm better if somebody shows me how to do something or I'm better hands-on. The science, though, doesn't back up that you actually learn it better that way. You I may... love to sing, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you're you, not necessarily going to perform better on the test you're because not, you you're, listen. You're definitely or not watch going something. to, and yeah. it, it, it's a wash. So since there's no science to support it, it's a waste of instructional time, uh, which is a limited, precious resource for people to be trying to hit all these modalities. Now there is, though, 
and this is a kernel of truth. I think that's part of the, as I tried to, as I found all this, I'm like, why is it this is so persistent? What is it about it that makes it have this intuitive truth to it? There is a a multiple encoding or a bimodal encoding feature of the way we learn, and this is well documented. And that does tell us that you will learn and remember things better if we can touch on more than one uh, sense as we're going about yeah. it. Uh, it won't be that you're visual or auditory. It will be like in a good documentary film, if I can get my narration and my visuals to work together, you know, so that you have a visual encoding as well as an auditory encoding or verbal encoding. That get that comes out in John Hattie's work a go. lot. Uh, that it's that students learn things better when they have uh, learned it in a multitude of, yeah. of facets. And you can overdo it. Like we've all sat through training where everybody in the world has sat through training where the visuals compete with the mm-hmm. with right. the audio. Um, and you don't want that, right? So you got to keep it simple and you got to keep it the alignment very close. But if you do that. That'll help. And that's proven to help. And you should do that. When I first came out, when I was in grad school in English the first time, like all my teaching was very written word, very, lots of dense text on a page. It took me a long time just to come around to the idea that visuals, <laughs> that graphics right. make a big difference, right? <laughs> uh, they do. We all need to, I was thinking about it earlier, we all essentially need to become Steve Martin's character, Naven, in The Jerk, <laughs> when he and Bernard Peters are breaking up and they're arguing, he's like, I don't need any of this. I don't need, oh, wait, I need this. <laughs> and then he walks out. And I, that's all I need. Wait, no, I need this. That's right. And he's like, I need, I need the auditory and I need the visual. And if, and you, can I work, need the if you can work the kinesthetic. kinesthetic into it, do that. I mean, yeah. it's that's tricky in a lot of scenarios, especially in online education, but... Um, yeah, definitely visual and, and auditory. All the, these things go together. Uh, there's good science to believe that and that you should do that. And I think that's maybe what gets people. It's, it's a combination of that kind of intuitive, intuitively knowing that that helps uh, and, and, and having experienced it in media, like in film, and also the idea that they do have preferences. They, some people really would listen to, rather listen to an audio book than read one or would rather talk a problem out than have to, you know, read a book about it. But here is what's interesting about that is that there's also a lot of research that um, it is precisely the struggle and the difficulty that helps embed learning in our brains. And if you're doing something only by the way that you prefer and find easiest, you are not maximizing your learning. This is my favorite principle of education because it gets me entirely off the hook as an instructional designer. <laughs> if, and, and what's weird about that is when I think back to my own educational experiences, it's absolutely true. I remember learning a lot in some very badly designed uh, classes with, with well-intentioned but very bad teachers because I cared a lot about the subject, so I put in the work. Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking college here. Um, there, we, we, you know, we all know that spoon-feeding it too much uh, taking all the all the challenge out of it makes it boring and makes people less motivated to learn and help and they retain less as well. Think how many accidental rabbit holes we all go down all the time, and we find them because because we've had we're looking for something else. We're in it's part of the process of oh, yeah. the the sort of the struggle to find what you're looking for. Part of the fun too. And and yeah, and I think, but I think again. That's part of the not limiting what you're right. what you're doing. The, you know, each of these things that we've talked about, it's been taking taking a step out, taking a step out, taking a step out, or taking out um, an option, taking out things that 
takes it down to that one narrow pathway, and it's the only pathway. Right. Oh, and as Alex mentioned earlier, certain subjects just lend themselves to certain approaches. I mean, you can't, I mean, foreign language learning, you know, that's another one that would be tough to do just from a book. Uh, it would tough to be tough to do without some kind of coaching, even if an AI is analyzing your your speech, like in Duolingo and seeing if you more or less got it. And, you know, it's got a pretty wide berth. <laughs> I say it's it's very gracious with me and my yeah, it terrible wanna, Italian. Yeah, it doesn't want to disturb you too much um, or, may, or demotivate you. It wants you. to keep you coming right. back from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, yeah, some, some subjects are naturally going to lend themselves to certain things. And as an instructor, you can think, well, can I get a little more of some of these other modalities in here? Great. But, but don't. Don't spend a lot of time on it because <laughs> spend a lot of time on it in terms of of hitting modalities so that people can have a good chance at multiply encoding these things. Yes, not because they are auditory learners because we're all auditory learners. Um, we're all visual learners. We're all tactile learners. And I, I went. You can take the VARC. It's out there. It's yeah. still there. I took it. Did you take it? What I didn't you? take it recently. I took it like the other day, yesterday. Bef- I think know, I had to do it with my students I'm, at one point. I used to I'm think mul- I was an auditory I'm multimodal. Learner. Oh, yeah. Fancy. It's nice of them to have that category now. But even <laughs> the questions on this thing are incoherent. Um, a lot of them are kind of antiquated too and cute. It's like it'll ask you like, how would you go about this? And I'm like, where's where's YouTube as the option? Because there's no... <laughs> right. Because I know I would go to YouTube immediately. It's like, oh, I would ask Claude or ChatGPT. <laughs> That's exactly I, where I would go first. Oh, but sure. I want a caveat out there. I found plenty of blogs on sites with EDU extensions on them talking about Absolutely. learning styles in an unproblematic way. Yep. Not mentioning that there was any... There's, there's not just some some disagreement about whether they're legit or not. The science has turned the corner against them pretty thoroughly. And you can find those articles too. Those are out there. And I wondered as I was doing it, how about the AI? Are the AI going to be as dumb as the web in general on this? They are. They're just going to repeat they're, what's out yeah, there. They're, garbage they're, in, garbage they're out. They're language <laughs> models. So they're going to like give you a nice summary of, hey, there's a thing called learning styles. Now, most of them, I tested a handful, and some of them will throw a kind of squishy thing at the end that says, well, keep in mind that it's important to, uh, you know, to try to yep. touch on all these things. So they blend the multimodal thing in at the end, but they, what they don't do is go hard against it and say, hey, it's junk science. Right. <laughs> what, and I did, I did the exact same experiment with the, with the GPT-4 system and gave me two benefits, individualized learning. And self-awareness, which I think is actually good from a from a preference standpoint. Yes. If you know your preference to want to listen to things only, but I don't think it, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I don't think okay. it is good because I think then you limit it your your own way and start closing Maybe yourself off. To that's un, what I'm saying. Unintentionally, the, the self-awareness to say, okay, I th- I default to thinking that I only learn best this way. Uh. And I need to be aware of that. Then you have to be to a person that's you have to be oh, a person that's willing to put yourself that's in what discomfort. I mean. Oh, I got you. As I as I'm I don't also, with you. I'm doing language learning right now. And at yep. first, I was just listening on the YouTube channel for this particular series that I'm doing. Well, then I realized, oh no, they offer a whole bunch of writing lessons that go along with it, and it's it's continuously improved it as I've gone on. So I realized, yeah, I can't just listen to this and hope that I'm going to learn this. But it did say the drawbacks. I'm like, those are. Those are weightier drawbacks because, again, benefits, individualized learning, self-awareness. And then, you know, GPT-4 said drawbacks, lack of scientific foundation and no link to academic achievement. <laughs> so so really it makes you feel good, really fun. 
The bad yeah. side, it, no. Here's here's what, as I as I've tried to think more, linking it to other things in in popular society, it exists somewhere between flat Earth conspiracy <laughs> at the top end, and then there's a there's what it's probably closer. We're gonna to. get letters. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So it's 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 somewhere between flat earth conspiracy on one side and then probably a little bit more weighted toward in in a different field in the field of exercise science there is the um body type belief. Oh, oh yeah. where you can be a I think it's I think I wrote it down. Yeah. It's where you can be an ectomorph, yep. endomorph or as a mesomorph. Right. And you need to customize your diet and you need to customize your exercise routines based on your body type. And you take this you take very these bark style questionnaire, but it is completely debunked by all and it the comes scientific out literature. Different every time I take that quiz. Yes. <laughs> and there's one there's one company in particular I'm all the that's morphs. the most um, complicit in perpetuating this. It's called V Shred. If you're doing it, please stop. It's not it's not worth it. Um so, but but again, learning styles then probably not as extreme as as flat Earth yeah. conspiracy, but a little bit more like that on that continuum of things that aren't really backed in science yet. For whatever reason, we in popular culture tend to gravitate towards them, or a subsection of people tend to we, gravitate. We like towards a good them. sorter. <laughs> but I do think that that there's something about. So, Gardner talked about being the things that you want to do rather than labeling people as auditory learners, visual learners, left brain, right brain, whatever, rather than labeling them that way, think about individualized learning in as much as you can, but then pluralize all your teaching. And I really liked that concept, the, the word, using the word pluralize to describe it, because then that benefits everyone. And the more people, so if you give it something in four different modalities, Everybody's benefiting because they're getting it in four different ways. And you're not thinking of it as Johnny's getting it the first way. You know, Susie and Billy get way two. These guys, everybody, pluralize right. it. No, give, give them all these different ways to look at something. Let them touch all the parts of the elephant, not just, you know, right. the yeah. one. Understand your, your learning activities can stack in that way. Maybe it's presented through visual and then it's there's a kinesthetic element you know and yeah. incorporating it all because the data shows it's multimodal i do think some of this sticks around because the idea is that it's harmless i i mean the actual the the wrong way to conceive of this is right. that people have a a scientifically true learning style and you need to tailor your instruction to that that's absolutely off the table that's wrong um, but i think part of the reason it sticks around is it's the People think it's it's kind of harmless, but it's not um, because in addition to like encouraging people to try to put people in boxes that don't really exist, ex you know, where people are just confusing their preference for receiving material for the ways that they can receive it uh, and benefit from it. You're also spending all that instructional time that we talked on. And the other is the risk. And this was a study that I saw just came out last year. Uh, by Sun and others. And the tit I'll just get the title for you and, and one little money quote. The title is, Beware the Myth, Learning Styles Affect Parents, Children's, and Teachers Thinking About Children's Academic Potential. There's a real danger of especially s taking those kinesthetic learners and, and 
thinking of them as unable to do this this written and verbal stuff that's super important to make it in the world. Uh, the quote, the money quote is, these studies show that learning style descriptions resultant of myth impact thinking about children's intellectual aptitudes. And they did a, they did a several different approaches to come to that data. There's, but, there's the real danger there. But that's the irony is that it, it got legs because people thought they were broadening yes. the way people's um, intelligence was perceived. Right. And instead, it has limited them. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think about things like I, I'm always curious about why people cling to it so much for themselves. Yeah. I, I see why educators jumped on it. Yeah, honestly, I. But why is it such a personal thing? If oh, you yeah. tell feels, me, I'm not. It feels uh, intuitive, right? It it feels. Yeah. Like I like listening to podcasts. I like listening. I'll turn something that I see on YouTube at work that I think is interesting. I'll turn it on and I'll just pull down the screen and lower the the brightness so it's not distracting me visually. But right. I can work on stuff and I can just listen to discussions. I like that. That doesn't mean that. But that doesn't translate to me that I am learning that better than if I were to take a transcript and read it. Right. There's there's a, a related concept in that in that Brown Make It Stick book that I'm always trying to drag into the conversation, and where he talks about fluency, the the yeah. intuitive feeling that you're getting it, which you can get from just rereading the same thing over and over and over again, which doesn't actually translate the way you think it would to performance, right? It's not that review's not important. Review's certainly important. But just reading the same thing over and over and over again, rereading as your only study strategy is not a solid study strategy. But you will feel like it is. It will feel like you're really getting it. I feel like I'm enjoying and learning as I'm listening to a podcast while I'm at work or listening to something. But again, going back to the the Hoosman quote, it's the most important thing if I want to learn something new is to really focus on the material. And if I'm doing that multitasking. multitasking. Yeah. I'm and not the, focusing the, on the material. That's what I think has been interesting because I I thought a lot about this when I realized that um, that I am a kinesthetic learner and that I really like no, I that I I really like to listen to audiobooks, nonfiction audiobooks and podcasts while I run sure. in the woods. <laughs> like it's all very specific, but I think it is specifically because it's um, eliminating distractions, so it allows me to focus on what I'm hearing. It takes away things to look at. I'm not having to think about whether there's cars coming at me or anything like that. And then I'm, I'm not having to take in other visual information. I'm also able to move and not have to do – I mean, things are kind of on autopilot, and it allows for that – Piece. But what I find really interesting is it's it's all those things in concert with each other that I feel like so I retain better. information better when it's sort of all of those pieces working together. And you and you may. And if we study that, then we can implement it exactly. on, on school children. <laughs> but yeah, no, exactly. No, and that's but that's the thing. That's that's just what I enjoy and but I I wouldn't bank my like professional certification on that's how I study for my you know, right. exams. But or maybe something. one day you can better synthesize it down to you are a deciduous kinesthetic learner or kinesthetic, Ooh, kinesthetic dis- learner since you're out in the woods. It's <laughs> you know we're gonna, how many we're gonna, did you find? Because I it's like three 
uh, three styles, then four styles. Uh, I, f- I found one article that said that the max they had seen altogether was a 170, I want to say, something like that. Um, I mean, Vark is by far the most sure. popular one out there, but I did the um, – oh, shoot. Why am I blanking the one you mentioned at the beginning? Um, Vac? No, not Vac before that. It's I ran across that one too. I just didn't take I almost said it. VAR. <laughs> it's not VAR. Is that one? No. It is now. That's sports ball. That's sport ball. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not a sports ball person. I think um, going back to that neuromythologies um, essay, the, one of the quotes in there that I liked was um, he was talking about, he said, you know, he, he states the case first that these there's lots of touch points between all of these senses in your brain. And he's like, why should that be the case? And he, he offers an evolutionary explanation of it. And uh, the quote was... Uh, out on the savanna, as a pre-humanoid hunter-gatherer, coordinating sight and sound makes the difference between detecting dinner and being dinner. So <laughs> I think it, it just makes sense that our senses are integrated. And uh, and while, you know, I mean, a lot of science is breaking things apart and trying to, like, isolate and, and iterate over those separate parts, this is one where that isn't, isn't the win that people thought it was. And no harm or foul if you thought it was. I'm sure at some point I thought it was because I didn't get critical about it until someone hipped me to the fact that it's bogus. And then I started digging around on it and convinced myself not only that it was bogus, but that I could not wait to be part of this podcast to help spread the word. (laughs) I found a fantastic lit review that went through all a ton of the literature around learning styles and basically it's like not a single one of them has done a scientifically sound study. Yeah, it's never panned out. I mean, it's not only I mean the concepts themselves as we talked about earlier on you know don't make a lot of sense on paper if you look at them carefully and think about it. You can't really forge those divisions between these different modalities. Um, and that's part of what you have to have in science. You have to have clear yeah. boundaries around what you're yeah, testing. One of my favorite that I found in the research, uh, it was from a 2018 article, but it was referencing a 2014 study where they were giving students in College of Art questionnaire and then tracking their implementation of those modalities as they moved on. This was the the final kind of synthesis of, of it. Unfortunately, while many students find the VARC test interesting, the undergraduate anatomy students in the research did not utilize the results from VARC to make changes to their study strategies. I read that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you, Most people will say, hey, that's cool. Now go, I know I'm this. Huh. I'll, yeah, but they won't implement it. And the cool thing is it wouldn't matter if they did because in the studies where they have had people deliberately you know, test them with one of these sorters, put them in a group, make them study in a way that, that honors that modality and excludes the others to the extent that that's even possible. They don't do better. They don't do worse either. They just don't do better. I just pulled up the VARC questionnaire. Yeah. And I already don't even have an answer for the first one. I know, right? Like I'm reading it and it's it gives me a scenario. Read it. Read it to us. So this is from. Are we going to get in copyright trouble if you read the VARC? This is from. (laughs) This is is done in fair use. This is educational. This is from VARCLearn.com. And the first question is, a website has a video showing how to make a special graph or chart. There's a person speaking, some lists and words describing what to do, and some diagrams. I would learn most from watching the actions, listening, seeing the diagrams, reading the words. 
none of it because it's all too much at once. (laughs) I was going to say all of the above, but no, I think you're correct. None of the above. But I mean, I I can't isolate one of those things that I'm getting the most information. It's the the synthesis of all of the information. Yes. You, yes. Yes. (laughs) You would study the map. You would read the words. You would iterate around these things, you know. As Um, I'm looking at you, I'm not just watching your lips move to visually... Take right. in what you're saying. I'm hearing you as well. <laughs> it's over, the, over the cans. Yeah. Is this um, our learning styles, the personality test of Pretty academia? Much. There you go. There you go. That's it. It's We're going to get a cease and desist letter from the it's... Flat Earthers <laughs> and from the VARC. And from Myers-Briggs at this and point. From... And from... <laughs> no, well, look, we only did the research. You did a little on Gardner. I like Gardner, but I, 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 I'm pretty sure that multiple intelligences, you know, has uh, is something that could – have some shade thrown at it oh. as well, especially in some of its poor implementations and side effects, yes. right? Um, but this, you know, this is the one I, I know doesn't make sense because there's plenty of science to tell you that it doesn't. And really just a little bit of philosophical reflection tells you uh, that it doesn't work. But I get the enthusiasm. I get that it persists. I like, you know, it's, I like, we like to divide things. The four humors, right? None of those are I'm, real. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a millennial. I don't like labels. Right, right. The generational <laughs> right. stuff. That's the, the irony. Right. That I mean, always gets all me. of these yeah. give you the illusion of understanding something that you don't understand. And I guess that's ultimately what it boils down to is you – if you, especially if you've had any – if you've struggled in school, if you've struggled with learning – if you feel in traditional formats and somebody says, oh, it's because you're a visual learner, right. it's like you suddenly have an understanding of yourself and why you didn't do as well. Or you have to, yeah. maybe that's why it's a and personal, well, such a personal thing. And this is maybe. probably not as common now, but it was when it was all the rage, the same way that there's snake oil salesmen in the exercise science version of this. There. Yeah. There was that, and there is maybe still to an extent that where some people are like, well, hey, I'm not necessarily going to connect it to the science, but I'm also going to not not connect it and just kind of leave it out there and I'll, I'll build myself up and maybe I can scratch right. out something And, pe- and people get it. vague with it, you know. Yeah. They, they back off the original claims and what they're really kind of saying is people learn in lots of ways, which is true. Yeah. And unproblematically true. And you don't need anybody's magic system to, to implement that. Um, and again, that kernel of truth, that kind of keeps it going, that the personal connection that Amelie pointed out. But um, just 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 don't. Just, just stop. If you're using this, stop. You don't have to like – you don't have to if, – if you really are conceiving of your in, students as being in one of these four or eight or 170 categories, stop doing that. Um, and what if all my students are in one of those 175 categories or whatever? That would make it would make your make my life easy. Your preparation very. I wouldn't have to do 175. <laughs> <laughs> are we beating a dead horse at this point? Um, probably. Skin and cats. Skin and beating cats. horses. Um. Thanks for joining us this week on a deep dive into the myth of learning styles. Be on the lookout for more myths that we bust in future episodes.
Don't forget to subscribe.